0: Psalm 85 to the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Amen. But the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing, the Lord's help to be upon us as we turn to his precious word. Let us pray. (coughs) Eternal God and our Father in heaven We look to thee this morning We thank thee, Father, for thy word We thank thee we can open it And have the freedom now to preach and to proclaim uh, The truth of our God And Father, give us that desire for thy truth Give us that desire to hear thee Give us that desire that this morning that thou would impress thy word upon our hearts. That it would not just, as it were, go in our ears and we would retain maybe a little in our minds and then it would leave us. Thy word would come in. That it would go down to the depths of our hearts. That the Spirit of God would come and apply that word. That as we leave this place of worship, we would know That thy word has challenged our hearts. That thy word uh, has convicted us. That thy word has, by thy grace, changed us. And we pray it would not just be a passing or fleeting feeling. But it would be something that would be left with us. That as we leave thy house today, as we go into this week, not knowing what befalls us, that we go knowing that thy Word that we have heard today must be practiced within our lives by the help of thy spirit. Father, move within us, we pray. We pray thou would draw souls to the Savior, draw us closer to our Savior, we pray, and glorify thy name. We beseech thee for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The psalm that we have before us this morning records for us the fever which the Lord has shown unto his people Israel. We see something of that in verse 2. That was forgiven the iniquity of the people. That was covered all their sin, Selah. And this is what the Lord himself has done for the believer, for you and for me. He has covered all of our sins. And what a wonderful thing that is. The covering of our sins. And oh, how our sin needs to be covered and needs to be dealt with by the Lord. And this covering is fundamental to a close walk and a relationship with God. You cannot be close to the Lord. You cannot walk in his ways if there has not been this forgiving of iniquity and this covering of your sin. And this covering is fundamental to this close walk in relationship with God. And then we see something of a particular longing and a desire that the Christian church ought to have. And we see this in verse 6. The cry of the psalmist goes up, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And in the Christian church, the subject of revival has been the topic of many conversations the topic of hundreds and thousands of sermons, the theme of prayer meetings, there has always been a great emphasis placed by the church and by individuals upon the need for revival. And indeed, it is the prayer of the Christian church to see again God moving in his mighty power and saving precious souls. Our minds can look back to revivals that are Now but a chapter in history. Times when God's spirit moved in our nation. And thousands were brought uh, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can look back to uh, the United Kingdom. That new revivals time and time again. Outpourings of God over the generations. And maybe that is something that we don't have regarding history in Canada But looking back, we have it as part of the history of Christ's church. And when a nation is revived, when souls within that nation are changed and saved by the power of God, there is a moral change that comes from that. There is a surge in church attendance. Drunkenness, immorality, crime, dishonesty, other reproaches to society are curbed. Integrity can be restored to a nation. Because of those within it who know and love the Lord as their Savior. Just after the First World War, the British Prime Minister, David Lloyd George, and if my history is right, he wasn't a particularly righteous man. I'm not this morning saying he's a godly and righteous man, uh, but I'm saying that he knew something of revival in the sense of information about revival. He stated that nothing less than a spiritual awakening among the nations could possibly enable the leaders to iron out the appalling difficulties harassing their minds day and night. After the First World War, dealing with the fallout of the First World War and if you know your history, events eh, in the First World War and what happened and eh, how eh, the German nation was treated carried on a little bit and led to the Second World War. And so when we think of that, this Prime Minister said an awakening was needed. And he knew what he was talking about because he was Welsh. And several years before that, in 1904-05, the Welsh knew in South Wales a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. A great revival. They have the title, The Land of Revivals, in addition to The Land of Songs. If you can ever hear a Welsh choir sing and I don't know if there's any around here, but you can go on YouTube and you can uh, type in there Welsh choirs singing hymns and you'll be blessed by how they can sing. I lived in Wales for a couple of years and none of that rubbed off on me at all. Uh, But I have to go to YouTube uh, to enjoy good Welsh singing. When we think of the land of Wales, God, God raised up men who had conviction and a great desire to serve the lost. These men preached the word of God over the years and knew the blessing of God. We can think of William Williams of Panty Kellan, a man who wrote that hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, and Daniel Rowlands, of a place called Klingitho. Christmas Evans, we mentioned him, I believe, recently. The one-eyed preacher who had a pastor's conference not far from where I used to live in Wales was suddenly called upon to preach The word of God. A man by the name of Evan Roberts is also well known. Because he was the instrument God used in the 0405 revival in Wales. He attended a prayer meeting. The evangelist prayed earnestly at the close of that meeting. Bend us, bend us, bend us, oh Lord. And Evan Roberts himself repeated that. He left that meeting a changed man. He went back to his village in South Wales. A place called Locker. And there in that village, that town, there was a free Presbyterian witness for many years in an old building that had been built just after the revival to accommodate the children for Sunday school. Such was the blessing of God. They needed to build a building just for Sunday school. And that later was also used as a place of worship. And he went back to that town He went back to his home church, a place called Moriah Chapel. I've been there. I've sat in the church. I've heard the story of the revival on a number of occasions in that place. And he spoke to the young people. And he told them of the experience he had with God. And people walking past wondered, why are the lights on in the church at such a late hour? What is taking place? And young men and women who had never before spoken about their faith in Christ were testifying and fearlessly speaking of Christ. And there were those who bowed in prayer and prayed. There was a church service the next day. And it was said that this chapel was not closed afterward, day or night, for many months. There came the news then that some of the most sinful characters in the village had been converted. They had went through gospel appeals by preachers for many years. But the Lord saved them. And they declared their newfound joy and gladness without fear of anyone. Down in the Welsh coal mines, the workers not only discussed the services, but they sang the hymns. They sang the hymns. That great hymn, Guide Me With Thy Great Jehovah, is sung very often at Welsh rugby games. And you can hear the crowd in the arena singing. Like if you would go to see the BC Lions and the place is packed full and they start singing a hymn, it would be a very strange experience. But in Wales, that stemmed from the godly heritage that they had. There was new life. New life. It's estimated that around a quarter of a million people were converted as a result of that revival. But sadly, it has declined. Many churches in Wales have been closed. Preaching has declined. The gospel is not proclaimed as it once was, but it is thrilling to read of the move of God and revival. The Bible has much to say about revivals and reformations. We can think of Acts chapter 1 and the apostles, they prayed, they came together, they sought the blessing of the Lord. Acts chapter 2 what happened? The Spirit of God came at Pentecost, and thousands were saved and truly saved. We can think of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther stirred up to stand for the Lord. And what happened? A Reformation a revival of biblical truth across Europe. And we can think of other revivals. Scotland has enjoyed the blessing of God. We can think of 1859 in what is called the province of Ulster in Ireland. Now today no one is Northern Ireland. And they're in the county of Antrim. There was a young man by the name of James McQuilkin who was saved in 1856. He was encouraged by his pastor to commence a Sabbath school in a place called Kells near Ballymena. And in 1857, him and his friends who felt their inadequacies, they met in the Kells schoolhouse to pray and to seek the Lord. Many more began to attend. Many more were saved. And then in 1859 the Lord began to move through the area. On the 12th of July, 1859, when many in Northern Ireland come to remember the Battle of the Boyne from 1690, there was a gathering with 10,000 people hearing the word of God. Later on, a month later, a few months later, there was... A meeting not far from that spot at a race course. And that meeting, it wasn't a gospel meeting, it was a gathering at a race course to watch the races. Ten thousand people attended normally, and in that revival year there was only five hundred. There are many other places where men were struck down, where men realized. Realized their need of a saviour. There was religion. Men went to church. But there was no real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord moved in a great way. If you go to Northern Ireland today, you drive through towns and you'll see First Presbyterian Church and Second Presbyterian Church. And you'll see a Free Presbyterian Church. But those First and Second Free Presbyterian Churches why is there a first and a second? It was because at the time of the revival there were so many converts that the original church wasn't big enough. They had to build other churches in these towns to hold the number of converts. Oh, how the Lord moved, how the Lord blessed, how lands were changed. And there is a need for this today, a need for spiritual awakening. The psalmist prayed. And he prayed, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And there are many today who try to cultivate revival and try to commence revival. And they'll have the revival meetings and the revival conferences. But the reality is that revival comes from God. And it is something that we must consider personally in ourselves. Do we need to be revived? We can hear the blessings of how God moved in days gone by, in churches and in nations. But what about us? And that's the challenge this morning. Lord, revive us again. What about you? What about me? And that's our title, Lord, revive us again. And I want to consider, yes, we can think of it as a church, we can think of it as a nation, but let us think of it personally and individually. Lord, revive us again. Lord, revive me again. Revive my heart. Set my heart on fire for thee. And I want to ask three questions. You have them in your bulletin. And the first question is Do you recognize our constant need for revival? Do you recognize our constant need for revival? And that is something that is vital to us today. Do we see a need of this? When we read this verse, Psalm 85, verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again? What is your reaction? Why do we need to be revived? Why is the psalmist talking about this? I don't need to be revived. Is that your reaction when you think of this verse? This is something, well, the psalmist needed it. I don't. And the church doesn't need it. And the nation doesn't need it. Dear believer, if that is your response, how wrong that response is because we need it. We constantly need to be revived the psalmist is recognizing in these words that there is a need for revival there is a need for dry cold hearts to be revived and in the context of this psalm there is a need for the land and for the people to be revived again there has been a deadness and dear believer we need to acknowledge that within our hearts often there can be a spiritual deadness We can think of Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea. What did the Savior say about that church? He said that they were lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. They were in need of being revived. They were going through the motions. There's no passion, no love. We can think of the church at Ephesus. They went through the motions. But there was a lack of love for the Savior. And the danger is that we as God's people can go through the motions. We come to church, we sing, we listen, we go home. We think nothing else about it. Yeah, we might not go out and get drunk. We may not sin in immorality. And we may not sin by stealing from our employer or stealing in regard to running our own business and stealing from people and from others. We may live our life... According to the commandments of God. To the best of our ability. But yet. What about our heart? Is it cold? Is it dead? We come to the house of God on the Lord's day. Is that the only religion? To use that word. The only religion that we have all week. Or when we wake up on a Monday. Are we desirous for the word of God? Are we desirous to be in his presence all week. Praying to him. Driving to work. Well, let's put on a sermon. Let's listen to God's word. Let's pray as I drive. Of course, with your eyes open. But many do that. They pray. They may not close their eyes because they're driving, but inwardly they're praying and resting upon the Lord and thinking on his word as they drive. is Sunday the only religion we have throughout the week. It ought not to be so. As God's people, there ought to be this joy in the Lord and this desire for him. And the psalmist says, Lord, revive us again. Revive us again. We can think of what Christ has done for us, what he has done for you. Think of his love and think of his grace and his death for you. And consider this in light of what Christ has done, in dying for your soul, in saving you, in taking you out of the miry clay, placing your feet upon the solid rock, redeeming you for time and for eternity, should you have a heart that is anything other than warm and hot toward him? If I was walking by the side of the road and You came past on your bicycle and you had a collision. You were dying. And I came and I did first aid. I helped you. Don't be relying on me to do that, by the way, but by example, I did that. I saved your life. I gave you CPR. I kept you alive till the ambulance came, till they saved you, took you to the hospital. There was a recovery period. You're back. Life is normal. And you come again and you completely ignore me. and have nothing to do with me. And never speak to me. Oh, he saved my life. But I haven't really talked to him since the day of the accident. He saved me. But I haven't spoken to him. I haven't asked him how he is. I haven't thanked him. I have no time for him. But he saved my life. He's done nothing wrong to me only good (laughs) but he's not my friend how rude how wrong would that be yet when we come to the saviour what about our hearts he has done far more than a physical saving he has redeemed us from our corruption and from our sin for all eternity how do we treat him do we love him are our hearts burning with delight toward him It is easy to fall back, to be hindered by sin. I want you to think of the book of Judges. The book of Judges reminds us time and time again. I've maybe said before that when I taught in our children's meeting in our old church, my home church, many years ago was the first time I'd actually taught the children's story. And I was given a month of stories to do. And each one was on a different judge. And every week the story commenced. The children of Israel sinned against God. Every week it was like a broken record almost. Every week it was the same kind of introduction. The first week, the children of Israel sinned against God. And then God raised up a judge. And the second week, the children of Israel, after being saved, they fell into sin again. And God raised up somebody else. And the third week and the fourth week, the same thing happened. And what was going on in the book of Judges? The people were falling back, falling into sin. God delivered them and then they and the next generation forgot and they needed to be delivered again. And then they forgot, the next generation forgot and they needed to be delivered again. And that shows the state of the human heart. We can forget about God. We can be easily hindered in our spiritual relationship with the God of heaven. Judges 2 reminds us that there arose a generation that knew not the Lord, verse 10, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. It can happen. It can happen. We can grow cold. We can grow cold. We can think of Josiah, King Josiah, 2 Kings 22, verse 19, it says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humble thyself before the Lord. You see, they found when this king, this godly king, found or commanded the temple to be repaired, they found the book of the law, the word of God. It was read, and as it was read to the king, the king who was young and desiring to walk in God's ways, and as he heard the word of God, his ways changed. His heart was tender. Despite what he was doing, he needed Change according to the law. He needed change despite the godly heritage he had. He needed change despite loving God and walking in his ways. He still needed to be revived and reformed and to go forward for God. And your believer, whatever state your soul is in today toward God, whether you are on fire for him or you're cold, there needs to be change. There needs to be revival. There needs to be reformation. We should always be growing in our walk with God. Is your joy the same as what it was when you were saved? Is it less than what it was? It should be more. Is your love for Christ the same or less than when you were saved? It ought to be more. Is your desire to serve the Lord more, or less the same as when you were saved? It should be more. We should be growing in all of these things. But yet we can be hindered because of sin. Lord, revive us again. We need a tender heart. Richard Sims the Puritan said, The tenderness of heart is wrought by an apprehension of tenderness and love in Christ. A soft heart is made soft by the blood of Christ. And Oh, that we would have hearts that are tender toward the Lord. Hearts that love him. Hearts that love him. What does revival do? Well, it starts within our hearts. We often think of revivals as hundreds of souls being saved. But personally, we need to be revived. It starts within the people of God. Do you this morning have a deep and strong desire for God? Do you see the need we have to constantly be revived? To be on fire for Him? That's the important thought here. If we desire the Lord to revive us again, we must see that we have a need because we can fall so easily back. We can get comfortable within our lives and within the life of the church and be cold at heart. Do we have that passionate desire for Christ, that desire for souls to be saved? Do we see the need for our own spiritual lives to be constantly renewed and filled with the Spirit of God? Have you prayed, Lord, Revive me again. Revive my heart. I see the need. I see how easily this world can get into my life and take my eyes off thee and of my duty toward Christ. Lord, revive me again. When we think of those old revivals, something very interesting. Whether it's 1904 in Wales, whether it's 1859, in Ulster, or any other revival. There's no television, there's no internet. There was very little by means of the worldly entertainment that we have today. There was going to the pub, there was drinking alcohol. There's maybe games or some sort of recreation but nothing in comparison to what we have today. Things were also more difficult. The plowing of a field taking place today. Well, if you see a farmer go out with a little tool to plow the field, well, something's wrong. He uses machinery, it's easier. We have all the machinery today that helps us save time, yet we have so little time. We have all the modern things that help us save time today but yet we have so little time how long would it take you to walk to church I think it takes me about half an hour I walked it the other week about 30 minutes or so less than 10 minutes in the car imagine 100, 200, 300 years ago having to walk to church even half an hour 40 minutes or an hour in the rain or in the snow or whatever it might be to get to the house of God. There were believers who had such a desire for God and for His Word that that's what they did. They wanted to be in church worshiping God. Morning and evening, rain, snow, sun, whatever it is. They wanted to be there and they walked. They walked. They didn't have their fancy runners that they bought in the sports shop. They had their shoes. I wouldn't like to walk an hour in my shoes I wore on a Sunday. Imagine walking around for Canada Post with those shoes on. I'd have blisters constantly. We have lots of comforts today, but very little effort for the cause of Christ. Oh, the Lord would revive us. Revive us. That we would see that he is more important. He is more vital to our souls. And we need to be revived. And that the things of this world would be set aside. Set aside. Secondly, and touching on some of this already, we have, do you have a personal desire for revival? Do you personally desire God to move, to revive his work, to revive the land, to revive your heart? Is this something not only do you see But do you desire it, dear believer? Do you desire it? Do you desire the Lord to work within your life, to revive your heart again? When faced with the law of God, King Josiah responded and he began to seek the Lord. He cried, he prayed, he was humble toward the word of God. He could have said, well, I've done that which is right in the sight of God. I've served the Lord. He could fill himself with pride. I'm keeping the word of God. I'm following the Lord. I've done all these things. I've removed the places of idol worship. I've smashed the idols to dust. But he still humbled himself before the Lord because there was more to be done. There was more to be done. Dear believer, do you believe it you have a personal desire to be revived, to be sanctified, to be closer to the God of heaven? Oh, that we would deal with our pride. We often think too highly of ourselves we often think we can be spiritual when in reality we are not and that is something that we can blind ourselves with we think we are good we think we are righteous but we are not we are not I've preached in meetings in the past and I've left those meetings thinking it was a good meeting and God is blessed and the people were favorable. And then I've looked maybe 10 years later over those notes and think, I thought, however did I get into a pulpit and preach that sermon? It's absolutely terrible. It's terrible. If I was ever to preach that again, I would need to start from scratch. And we can think highly off ourselves. Oh, we did well at this thing. Oh, we did good at this. But in reality, maybe we didn't. We can blind ourselves. We could fail to examine ourselves and think that all is well when in reality is not. I'm a good person and I'm righteous and I'm holy and I'm godly and my heart's on fire for God. And that's what we're believing. And that is what we're trying to, as it were, that... That message we're sending out about ourselves. We believe it. We want others to believe it. But yet deep down that's not the case. We're in self-denial. We need to be realistic. We need to examine ourselves as the word of God tells us. As we come to the Lord's table this next week. Let us examine ourselves. Do we think that we're self-righteous? We often talk about the self-righteous sinner. The one who thinks they're good enough without Christ. We can be self righteous believers because we feel that, well, we're good enough. We're good enough in all that we do, but we need to take a reality check. We need to deal with our pride. Spiritual pride makes us look at others and not ourselves. Spiritual pride leads us to criticize others and not look at ourselves. We need to look at ourselves. Do we desire personal revival? Do we need it? Do we desire it? Let us ask that question. Let us set aside by God's grace any pride. Because the answer, whether you may be the most godliest person in this congregation or not, the answer is always yes, we need to be revived. We need to be reformed. We need to be closer to Christ. We need to be praying this prayer, Lord, revive us again. Do we desire others to be revived? Do we desire our friends, our family, or those who attend the house of God with us to be revived and to have that passion for Christ the same as us? Do we desire the church to be revived? We'll set the example. Come to the house of God without fail. Come and pray. Come and seek the Lord. Be that example. We spoke last week about the elders of the church in the membership class. The elders of the church being the example, leading, coming to the house of God, praying. Dear believer, we should all endeavor, as those who know and love the Lord, to be such examples as well. To set the example. And what of the means of grace? The means of grace are crucial to revival. God's word, prayer, seeking the Lord. Do you desire those means of grace constantly? Or does your heart need to be revived in regard to seeing your need for them? Dear believer, there is a need. There should be a desire. But then finally, are you relying upon God's power for revival? Are you relying upon God's power for revival? There's something we need to understand here. This is a prayer. The psalmist is praying to the Lord and he's praying not to the men of the nation, not to some individual, not to the king. He's praying to the Lord. Wilt thou not revive us again? Lord, revive us again. And as the people of God, we need to be reminded this is not something we can do ourselves. This is the work of God. Our nature is to move against it. Our nature is to go cold. It is not of us. We cannot work it up. It is a work of God. It is a work of God. I was once greatly encouraged to hear of the Lord mightily moving through the youth outreach of a particular church. I was hearing of young people being saved, And I went to preach in that church, and I was thinking, well, I'm going to see some of these young people, and I'm going to be preaching to some of these young people. I was the youngest person in the church. I was 30 years of age, thereabouts. Where were the young people? I didn't think I scurried them away. I don't think I'm scurry that they heard I was coming, and therefore they didn't come. I was there on a few occasions. Where were they? Not at the worship services of the church. A true conversion, true salvation is a work of God. And if that is the case, that is good. But there are signs and there are evidences. And one of those evidences, the fruit of true salvation, is that desire to be at the house of God. To be at the Lord's house, to meet with him, to worship, to hear the word of God preached. That's why it's so important to disciple and to teach and to instruct those who are young in the faith. Those who are young regarding children, those who are young in the faith regarding adults who are newly saved. To instruct and to teach and to guide them. We need true conversions. We need a true work of God. The evidence of true revival is true godly fruit. True spiritual fruit that God has given. What is the sign of true conversion? A desire to come to the house of God. A desire to serve the Lord. A desire to witness to the lost. A desire by God's grace to change your life, to put to death those sins and to live for the Savior. True spiritual God-given fruit. It is a work of God. But reforming, reviving is a difficult work and we're not to give up. John Bond, the, the Puritan, the Puritan John Bond, he said this. And I was reading this quotation, I went to see who wrote it, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. But he said that some say, but there is great opposition. Many mighty, stubborn enemies are against us. It's a difficult work, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to reform our lives and to seek the Lord and to be closer to him and to do his work. He said, this is good evidence that you're about a choice piece of church work. Show me a reformation that went on without difficulties and obstructions. And he says, so these very crags and bogs which you pass through in the way, he said, are not discouragements. The hard times are not discouragements. The way marks, that is, signs that you are right in the old Reformation way that ever hath been trodden. When we desire the Lord to work within our lives, to revive us, to reform us, to reform his church, it's a difficult work. The devil will seek to cause problems. And the old Puritan said, they are not discouragements. They're signs you're on the right track because the enemy is trying to prevent it your believer it is a difficult work don't let the world have the victory don't let the world win in their desire for you to have a spiritual life that is one day a week in the house of God but look to the Lord for grace and help and strength that your spiritual life will abound That coming to the house of God on the Lord's day and listening to his word is, as it were, the highlight of an entire week that has been lived for Christ. Lived witnessing for Christ. Lived in the word of Christ. Lived serving Christ. Lived for the glory of Christ. In Ulster in 1859, there was an old Presbyterian minister he's a godly man who stood firm for the faith it's another topic in itself great history there his name was Henry Cook and before the revival some years before he wrote and he said this speaking to the context of Northern Ireland but there are similarities with us today he said let the dangers with which you are threatened lead you nearer to the God of salvation we see dangers we see threats in our nation let them lead us nearer to the God of salvation and render you more familiar with the throne of grace, looking for grace to help you in time of need. He said, the great fault of Protestants, the fault for which they have suffered, and if they discover it not and mend it not, for which they will suffer again, is their trusting in princes and men's sons. Trusting in men and not in the living God. He said, experience of the past should have taught us that we can not trust our destinies to man, to no individual. It says let us trust the Lord dear believer that is true of us no man has the answer no man should be our sole trust but the God of heaven and so therefore let us desire reformation let us desire the reviving of our hearts the reviving of the church of Christ let us rely upon the power of God let us desire him When we look at sin within our lives, can we conquer that sin ourselves? We need the power of God. Can we be a strong witness for Christ in our own strength? We need the power of God. And so let us pray, Lord. Lord, revive us again. Lord, reform us. Lord, bring us closer to Thee, that we may be that witness, that we may glorify Thee. Lord, do this work. May we have that desire to be closer to the Lord. May we have that desire to walk in His ways, to have our hearts revived time and time again. It is a constant need, a constant need. May we have that desire. May the Lord bless His word for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy word and for Thy goodness toward us. We pray that Thou would bless it to our hearts. We pray, O God, that we would have that desire to be revived, that we would not be satisfied, drifting in life, coming to Thy house and practicing our faith just on one day of the week. But, Father, every day may we have that close walk with Thee. How easy it is for our hearts to grow cold. Father, restore us, we pray. May we be revived. May we be set on fire for thee. May each one here, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, know that renewing, that revival, that refreshing from thee, to be closer to thee. O Father, work within our hearts for thy glory. Save those outside of Christ. Give them this desire too. Revive their hearts. And Father, we pray we would give thee all the honor and all the glory. We beseech thee now that would part us with thy blessing. Go before us. We pray, O God, that Thou would bless this Sabbath day to our souls. May the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, And the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.